Hi, everybody, on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and all the other stuff. I'm Brad Seelos, Game Time, joined by my friend Jeff Jones on the other end of the line. Hello, Jeff. Hey, it's uh, so I, I know you're driving to Indianapolis right now. Is it rainy and shitty on the way out 70? Because it is, it is cold and rainy today. It is windy, and so it's my car says 52 degrees, but it feels colder than 52. Uh, it is overcast gray uh, here Monday afternoon as I head east on I-70, just on, just the other side of Effingham, Illinois. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, my phone said it, it could rain in about 20 minutes, so yeah. That's pretty good. So you, you just got through Effingham? Is that where you stopped for wonderful Panda Express? Yeah, the fast panda was a little slow, but yeah, I made it through, uh, made it through Effingham. You would not think Effingham, Illinois, would have a Panda Express, but they do. Well, because it's a it's a it's a major highway intersection, so there's a bunch of truck stops and stuff there. So that doesn't necessarily shock me. Uh, what does surprise me is that you opted to stop at like Panda Express is not good car food. Oh no, yeah, I I decided to get out of the car for a little bit and stretch the legs. So you know, stretch it's it's Indianapolis. Get out of the car and stretch the legs. <laughs> So I'm a little out of practice. I mean, you at I, least, I, I can tell you, you at least went on one in April. It hasn't been that long. True. Well, I mean, April was, that was the whole two seasons ago, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. So, yeah, so I, you know, I, and I, I have a leisurely pace. I don't have to be there until around 5 o'clock, and I'm going to be there well before 5 o'clock, so that's good. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not exactly pushing it, so. I'm doing okay. You're gonna you're gonna stop in. I guess Santa is Santa Claus Pass in Indianapolis. It probably it is, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 I, I don't have any plans to go to Santa Claus. I do have plans Tuesday night to watch uh, the game against the Carolina Hurricanes with our own drunk girl who lives in Indianapolis. What's funny is I was eating my fried rice and uh, mushroom chicken. Uh, she texted me and said she was wondering what. GT, GT meant on her phone, and then she realized we're watching the game tomorrow. So she remembered a full twenty, like eight hours ahead of time. I you went to Panda and you didn't get orange chicken. They sell oh, more. I got, than, I, I got the plate. I got oh, okay. The chicken and, and the orange. The orange chicken. All right, that makes that makes more sense because I was trying to figure out like going to Panda and not getting orange chicken. Oh no, it's it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, here in the podcast, we kind of talk about the Blues, a little bit bigger picture, beyond the next game, beyond the last game, kind of uh, where they've been, where are they going kind of thing. But if you're a Patreon subscriber, which I highly recommend, by the way, just $5 a month, we talk a little bit about some of that. Uh, we broke down some of the stats with Jake Allen. Uh, breaking news, spoiler alert, uh, he's not a great goaltender this year so far. And yeah... The defense has been shitty, but uh, yeah, so is the goaltending. So uh, it's not just, oh, uh, if you blame the goaltender, you're not watching the game. Uh, I'm watching the game, and I still blame the goaltender to some extent. So we talked about that. Uh, at the end of that podcast, Jeff, I said, uh, you know, so the Hurricanes have three really crappy goaltenders, Peter Morazic, uh, Scott Darling, and Curtis McElhaney. That's a weird name, Curtis McElhaney. Uh, none of those three goal centers are good. So uh, I kind of just threw out there, maybe the Carolina Hurricanes would look to acquire one Jake Allen. And you said you had another destination in mind. Tell me what you're thinking about. Where do you think 
at some point, I'm not saying near future, I mean, he still has two years left in his contract at $4.3 million. I get it. Where do you think Jake Allen would, a, a good landing spot for him would be? So, you know, I, I think it's clear to anyone paying attention at this point that Jake Allen is probably not going to be able to handle uh, a 65-game kind of schedule in the NHL. And, and, and so, to me, when you're looking for a landing spot, uh, you're looking for a place where a team has a goalie that is a young guy who they're going to try to bring along a little bit, uh, a, a goalie who maybe himself hasn't quite proven that he is going to be able to stand up to the rigors of the league and could use like a 1B sort of backup. And it would also help uh, if this team had their own goaltending contract they were trying to dump and if they were in the other conference. So in case either of the goalies traded got good, uh, they wouldn't be haunting their former teams twice in a season. Have you yet figured out the place in which I am considering? I'm going to guess, uh, let's use the other conference of Vancouver's out. Uh, I think it'd be funny if he ended up in Philadelphia or Buffalo and was paired with Brian Elliott or Carter Hutton, but that's not going to happen. Uh, I, uh, you're not saying New York Rangers. The Islanders are out. I, your favorite team's Washington. I'm going to go with Washington. How about the New Jersey Devils? So Corey Schneider's there. Keith Kincaid is there. So you think a Jake Allen for Cordy Schneider trade straight up? I don't know about straight up, but, you know, there's ways to work around that. But Corey Schneider has three years past this one at $6 million against the cap. Uh, he's 32 and has a no trade. Keith Kincaid is a free agent after this season, uh, but looks more like the guy who the Devils might be leaning on. Uh, and, and, you know, you wonder if maybe – the Devils would have some interest in a little bit of a change of scenery type deal. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. Um, I mean, Corey, I Corey Schneider hasn't really been good in about three years. In 15-16, he put up a 215 goals against and a 924 save percentage. Then in 16-17, that became a 282 and a 908. And last year it was a 293 and a 907. This year in only two games, 324 and 889. So it's not like Corey Schneider uh, is a guaranteed fix, but... Maybe that's a situation where you know you, you get some change of scenery, uh, and in nothing else, it's it's a different look. And then maybe in five or six years, the Blues could acquire Kincaid, and we could just have the washed-up New Jersey goaltender pipeline to St. Louis set up and uh, just flowing whenever there's a guy that's eligible to come this way. Yeah, you know, I've heard worse ideas. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's not bad. I mean, Schneider. Definitely was seen as a uh, a star in the making, possibly. But I, I don't know. It's uh, as we as we mentioned on the other podcast. It's not like Fully Huso is knocking down the door. Age twenty four, unfortunately, or twenty three, twenty four, twenty three, turning twenty four. There you go. So I covered both bases. Uh, his numbers in San Antonio are not good. Uh, the play of the rampage has not been good. I don't know, Jordan Bennington. Is he next man up after Vili Huso? There's Fitzpatrick is in the is in the pipeline, but he's behind those other guys. So uh, I don't know. It's the long term. The St. Louis Blues and goaltending problems. It's like uh, 
peas and carrots. They just go together. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm comfortable sort of asserting at this point that uh, the guy who is going to be the starting goaltender for the Blues three years from now is probably not in the organization today. Uh, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Continuing theme from the other podcast, me saying that sucks after you say something that's probably pretty close to spot on. So, yeah, I, I mean, I remember saying back in the day when I was trying to sound like a smart guy on the internet that if the Blues were going to have a parade, the goaltender to lift, lift the shiny silver thing in the parade would be Jake Allen. And then... He ain't that guy. Uh, and then a year or two ago, I started saying, you know what, I kind of think the goaltender to lift the shiny silver trophy is going to be Philly Huso. Uh, maybe I need to find another name. I, I, I mean, you know, and it sounds harsh to give up on Huso before he's even played a game in the NHL. I just... He sat on the bench for games. He's never. He doesn't even have one NHL minute, and we're writing him off. Something, something about Billy Huso stinks to me. Something stinks in Denmark. Yeah, maybe. I just. I. I, I, I can't. Where's he, where's he from? He, he's from Finland. Uh, yeah, good. I can't imagine. I just. I can't imagine why the Chad Johnson deal makes sense if the Blues think Huso can play. Because not only does that have the effect of, of, of keeping Huso in the AHL for a year, uh, it also has the effect of forcing Evan Fitzpatrick to play in the ECHL, where he's not really going to grow a whole lot either. Like, ECHL for Major Junior is not exactly a huge leap. Uh, you know, would the Blues have been better off with a, a Huso-Bennington shuffle between the AHL and the NHL, let one of those two guys be the backup, let the other one start for the rampage with Fitzpatrick behind them? Maybe. Uh, you know, did the Blues know going into the season that Jake Allen was not going to be the guy who they could count on? Yeah, probably. But if that's the case, then Chad Johnson sure smells like a half measure to me. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? We we kind of talked a little bit about Doug Armstrong basically saying, you know, he's in the first year of a four-year, possibly five-year deal with the extension. He's not on the hot seat. I kind of thought maybe we could, you know, it's it's a dozen games in. I get it. But but maybe we could kind of have some snap decisions on, on the summer to this point in the season. I mean, I don't think anyone has any qualms about the play that Ryan O'Reilly has had for the Blues what he's brought to the table with his face-offs, his passing ability, his vision. I mean, he looks like the real deal. And someone's going to have to explain to me what the hell Colorado thought trading him to Buffalo and what the hell Buffalo – I mean, I guess it's rebuilding and he basically said he didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, right. It's it's two things. With with Colorado, it was a contractual dispute where he sat out half a season because they weren't willing to go, you know, where he wanted them to go with the contract. Uh, and then, why, would, why wouldn't you? He deserves it, man. I, I, that sure. seems really short-sighted. But once it happened, the bridge was burnt. And then in Buffalo, you know, yeah, the Sabres were bad uh, and didn't want to pay the bonus and didn't want to, you know, and, and if you're Ryan O'Reilly, do you want to waste your prime in a city that's not going to be winning a cup for the next three or four years? Probably not. Now, uh, the backside of that <laughs> is where he ended up. But, you, you set, know. You set yourself up nicely there, Jeff. Right, of course. Uh, but, it, I don't know. The thing, the thing with O'Reilly is that there were always these weird whispers about what he did to a locker room. Like I know that there are some people who think that he's not a winning player or whatever. I, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that since he has been here. He's the guy who stays late with his teammates to work on stuff after practice. He's, you know, he was the guy 
who went in front of TV cameras after that embarrassing ass loss on Saturday. He was the guy who showed up to talk to Darren Pang about it. Like he he seems to be the guy willing to stand up and, and be out in front of this team where while they're a mess right now. So I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical of the people who were skeptical of Ryan O'Reilly. I'm glad no one's saying they get ROR and all of a sudden the Blues suck. Maybe it is his fault. Maybe he brought some cancer with him. I'm glad I haven't read that yet. This keeps going the rest of the season into next season, and the whispers are going to start. I mean, maybe, but the thing that that leaves out is that they missed the playoffs last season and clearly weren't in a good spot before he got here. Like, it's not like he got to a team that was in the conference final and then they tanked. That's the smart answer. I'm just saying it's bound to happen. I mean, like everyone's saying it's not Jake Allen's fault that he's the worst starting goal center in the National Hockey League, statistically speaking. Uh, Bozak, uh, that $5 million seems kind of like an overpayment at this point. What do you think? Yeah, the money's not great. Uh, he's fine. Like, he he's looks... Fine. He looks like a third line center and a guy who can play on the power play. I have, you know, I have very little complaint with the play of Tyler Bozak so far. He has looked exactly the way that I thought he would look, which is like a guy who you probably didn't need to pay five million dollars to. But he had forty three points in eighty one games last year. He has six points in twelve games so far this season. You know, he's a forty to fifty point guy. He's he's fine. He looks fine. Uh, maybe Doug Armstrong just likes paying third-line centers a lot of money. I mean, he didn't sign Paul Stasny from Colorado as to be the third-line center. He ended up being the third-line center much of his Blues career, making $7 million a year salary cap-wise. So maybe he just felt like, oh, well, Bozak's not going to make $7 million. He's going to make $5 million a year and still be our third-line center. So, right, it's a discount. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, Patrick Maroon, go. Uh... I, okay. Score goal, Pat. Is is it fair to say the jury is still out? Sure, because the thing with Maroon is that, you know, it's a one-year deal at less than $2 million against the cap. Uh, he has had some presence playing down low on the power play. He has had some effect on the forecheck. He did, uh, you know, try to throw down with Marcus Foligno on Saturday night to get some spark back into the team, and then he got whopped in the back of the head, and that was the end of that. But yeah, you know, you're, yeah you're being rather generous that he quote unquote tried to throw down. No, I, he, I think I mean he was willing to fight. Yeah, he was willing to fight to bring energy back. He just happened to get tagged uh, while they were trying to get tangled up, and the fight ended really fast. But yeah. There, there are things that Maroon has done that has, you know, that have been demonstrations of a good teammate, right? A, you know, a, a guy who maybe fills some of that Reeves-shaped hole in the lineup and has a little more skill. Uh, those things are all fine. But yeah, I mean, score a goal, Pat. David Perron, surprisingly effective. I think pleasant surprise. I, you know, some people will say, "Well, look what he did last year for Vegas," but. I don't think anybody expected him to be the player Vegas had last year. I think we more expected the player the Blues had the year before when they exposed him in the in the expansion draft, and he was still taking offensive zone penalties. And I think that playoffs they went two rounds, and he had zero points or one point, zero points. I think so uh, one point, one point. Oh, one, one assist sorry. in eleven games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I I hope he keeps it up it, with the patchwork. Uh, lines that they're going to have with with Braden Shen out with soreness. Uh, 
you know, they have to break up that that line with uh, with Sanford and O'Reilly, which is a shame because that's been the most consistent threesome. Uh, hockey Twitter after dark. Uh, the, the consistent line of the of all four, and and really has kind of tried to keep the team afloat. You know, there's only so many so many fingers they can stick in the dice. Uh, man, I'm just rolling yeah. with the double entendres here. Uh, but you know, they can, that, those three can only do so much. I I, I kind of lament them being apart. Uh, do you think David Perron can keep this up over a full season and seasons beyond this? Uh, I mean, he did it last year, you know. And if you look at look at the career numbers, he looks like a fifty point guy, and maybe not a sixty point guy or a seventy point guy. But uh, you know, I, I think it's been consistent. To me, uh, the most impressive number for David Perron. Let me ask you this. How many minutes and penalties do you think David Perron has this season? You know the answer to this off the top of your head? Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go low because otherwise you wouldn't have mentioned it. I'm gonna say four minutes. Two. He's taken one minor penalty. Uh, and that was very early in the season, I remember. Uh, it, it might have been opening night or like the second or third game, because I remember thinking to myself, Oh, we're doing this again, and that's but then yeah, we we have it, and that's a big deal for David Perron because David Perron is a guy, and this this number blows my mind. In 2013-14, his only year where he played with Ed, played in Edmonton for the entire full season, he had 90 penalty minutes. My brow is wrinkled. Why and, the and, hell would he have 90 penalty? Yeah, minutes? because he doesn't fight. Right, like this is not like no. David Perron had six fighting majors to get ninety penalty no, that's minutes. 40, that's forty-five. That's a minor every other game. Right, that's like a that's, that's a hooking penalty every other. I mean, that's that's crazy. Ninety penalty minutes. Now, I mean, maybe he did have in there somewhere. I'll, I'll go to hockey fights and see if maybe he had like a. He had, yeah. he, had, he had to have something. Look at no, he didn't. I think you're right. I, there was a time. Well, remember. The end of his tenure, the first time with the Blues, not the second or the impending third at some point, but the first time where he kind of tried to be a shit disturber. Uh, he would he would get in the goalie's kitchen and he'd do a little bit of pushing after the whistle. And it's because he wasn't scoring, he wasn't passing the puck very well, he wasn't putting the puck in the net, so he was doing whatever he could to stay on the ice. And that was kind of try to be Ian LaPerrier Jr. and it didn't work. So maybe some of that act rubbed off in, in Edmonton and. They sat down and said, David, knock it the hell off. Yeah, because he did not have a single fighting major that season. Yep. I go to to hockeyfights.com for David Perron. In the 2009-10 preseason, he received a fighting major for fighting Danny Ehrman of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, That didn't count in the preseason. And then in 2010-11... He did not receive a fighting major, uh, but Bobby Ryan received an instigator in a misconduct after he tried to fight David Perron, and then Perron curdled and got a roughing minor. <laughs> that seems kind of apropos for David Perron's career, I gotta tell you. Uh, so yeah, so uh, were there any other? Am I missing any other acquisitions? Uh, Chad think- Johnson is bad. Uh, yes. I was trying to stay positive, Jeff. Come on. Um, be, a, be, a true, be a real Blues fan for a while. Uh, yeah, outside of that, I don't think that we're missing any because the defense was all the same. Uh, I, will, I mean, in limited action, I think Jordan Schmaltz has looked a little better than we really expected him to, probably. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he's he has, he has the tools. 
He, you know, um, he was a first round pick. One would think that he would have some skill, uh, but I, I mean, I think he's actually he's been fine, been good, been the best that we've seen him, which is a low bar, I grant you, but still. So the Blues uh, dropped a really bad one to Minnesota, home Tuesday night to Carolina, one of the up and coming young, fast teams that might give the Blues fits. Couple days off. Maybe a window to change coaches because the window closes after that. They play at home on Friday against the San Jose Sharks and then turn around for a Sunday matinee game. So if they don't decide to make a change between Tuesday and Friday, there's less than 48 hours between games over the weekend. And then they head on on the road after playing this long, 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 forever, never-ending seven-game homestand ending with Minnesota uh, Sunday afternoon. Granted, Gerard Gallant had to take a taxi because his, he was fired on the road. But you don't usually see coaches fired on the road, right, Jeff? Yeah, it can happen, but for the most part, I think they try to avoid it. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of a dick move. It is, or, like, the Gerard Gallant thing was sort of overplayed because I guess they offered, like, hey, we'll get you a car, but it's going to take a couple minutes for it to get here. And Gerard Gallant was like, fuck this, I'm leaving, and just walked outside to get a cab. It still looked really, yes, really it looked, bad. It looked really bad because because part of the problem is the arena set up in Carolina. Like there are fans that can walk past the area where the the, the team buses come in and out, and that's where like Gallant was standing with his suitcase waiting on a cab. So there were a lot of pictures and like there was a lot of documenting of it. Uh, you uh-huh. know, if he had like if they had fired him back at the hotel and he had hopped in a cab outside the Ritz, I don't think it would have looked quite as bad. But the fact that he was standing outside the arena holding his suitcase was not a great look. Uh, Let me ask you this. Out of a scale of 1 to 100, Monday morning before, say, 9 o'clock, between 1 and 100, what did you think the chances were the Blues were firing Mike Yo and they were announcing it Monday morning? Uh, 70. 70%? Yeah, I I was more like 80. I mean, it, I thought it was kind of telling, you know, the Blues home, home game on Tuesday night, so I was working on the paper a little bit last night, and I didn't get a lot of stuff that would be related to a column that you would talk about the coaching change. No, really, the only thing that got turned in was a history piece, which I'll get to here in a second. The only thing that was turned in was a history piece. And uh, that was about it. So I think everyone was waiting for a shoe to drop on Mike Yo's head, and it never did. So, yeah, I, I'd say I was 80, 85 even. So. Yeah, I mean, I, when, when, LA fired their, when fire, L.A. fired John Stevens on Sunday, named Willie Desjardins as their interim head coach, and they got the Marco Sturm situation and, and whatever they're doing there, uh, I thought that maybe that was an indication that for, before – in between them firing John Stevens and announcing uh, that Willie Desjardins was going to be their interim, I thought that maybe they were trying to jump the line on the available coaches. Uh, which, I guess, by the way, now, John Stevens is available. Nolan, police prospect Nolan Stevens' dad. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. No. No. I, John Stevens is one of those guys that I, I don't really know enough about. I think the problem with John's again, goalies get coaches fired. Jonathan Quick is hurt. Jack Campbell is their goalie, and they're slow. There's a lot of things with the Kings that look like the Blues. He, he sure is no Bill Peters, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I man, there was a period in time where I I had I drank the Bill Peters Kool Aid, but that was probably not correct. <laughs> probably, probably not. Uh, San Jose in, and then uh, Minnesota again, and then the Blues head on on the road. Uh, so we're recording this Monday afternoon, probably posting Monday afternoon, morning, Monday night. The next three games at home, Jeff. What do you think? How many points do the Blues get in the next three games before heading out on the road? Are they firing the coach after tomorrow or no? I don't know. You tell me. I'm going to say they get four because they fire Yo after tomorrow night. And then they get the new coach bounce? Yeah. That's not bad. Uh, San Jose has not lit the world on fire like everyone kind of thought they would with the Mike Hoffman, I mean the Eric Carlson trade. Uh they're still pretty damn good, so I don't know. That, that That's a tough one. And then we saw what Minnesota can do to the Blues on Saturday, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take under four. I'm going to say two or three in three games, which is not good, but that's how the Blues are playing right now. I mean, yeah, look, there's, there's no reason to assume the Blues are going to play well at this point. Right? They, they are in last place. They're a last-place team. I don't, you know, yeah. the the expectations have to be adjusted. Like, we're, we're, we're now 15% of the way through the season. I don't know when early stops being early, but we're getting there. Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is the magical day when it's permissible to, to start evaluating your team honestly, and that's three weeks from Thursday. It'll be here before we know it, that's for sure. Uh I don't know. Let's maybe talk around the NHL. So, uh, the end of last week, there was the road trip where the uh, NHL went to Europe. Uh, tell me a little bit about the uh, the Winnipeg Jets and Florida Panthers going to Europe. Uh, you know, it was cool for Patrick Laine to, to get a hat to, to, to record a hat trick in the first of those two games, and I, I think it's a, it's a big deal for the the NHL. To, to grow the brand. By the way, I should point out very briefly, I said Thanksgiving is three weeks from Thursday. It's two weeks from Thursday. That's even faster. Yeah, so it's coming. Uh, but no, I, I I think that the league is sort of recognizing that if they're going to grow an audience, uh, Europe is certainly a place to do it because so many European stars are, are playing well in the league and, and generating natural fan bases there. There was a news report that the league is considering pursuing uh, some more early starts on the weekend, so like 10 a.m. kind of games on the weekend, because that places those games in prime time in, in Finland and Sweden and Germany and the Czech Republic, and that that to me makes sense. You know, I'm sure players don't like playing super early in the day, but at the same time, from a league business perspective, I get it, and they did that. That seems relatively harmless to me. Our friends in. Sweden and other European countries uh, all celebrate on Twitter when the Blues play like a noon or 2 o'clock start that they don't have to lose any sleep to follow the team. So, yeah, I, that is a real concern, obviously. Yeah, so uh, Sunday afternoon, the Gunnarsons and the Grandlands and who am I missing? The Parisians and uh, well, that's. I mean, there are there are a lot of a lot of a lot of Scandies in Minnesota, so perhaps there's some carryover there. Uh, maybe the Orioles' Harris family still is rooting for the Blues. Well, but they're up all night anyway. Uh, <laughs> for days. <laughs> uh, it's the joke that keeps on giving. Uh, what else is there to talk about NHL-wide, Jeff Jones? 
this one is a this one is a, a specific thing that I saw this morning uh, because the dear Washington Capitals are in Edmonton tonight to play Connor McDavid and the Oilers. Uh, the top line for the Washington Capitals this evening is Kuznetsov between Ovechkin and Yashkin. Wait, did you just... Was that a typo, like an audible typo? No, uh, so the Capitals, still without Tom Wilson, were looking for a defensively responsible forward to put on that line so they could play the Kuznetsov line against the McDavid line, and here comes Dmitry Ashkin. He was right. They totally misused him in St. Louis, Jeff. Can you imagine if Dmitry Ashkin somehow manages to play like 20 games with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and scores 15 goals in 20 games? Just think if we if the Blues could have paired him with Oscar Sundquist more, the impact they could have, yeah. Yeah, if yeah that's could, a, they could, they'd be fine if they could play half ice and not have to skate up and down. I got to tell you, when fans say that they are smarter than, than some NHL coaches, I it's hard to argue with them sometimes. Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you do know this once, you know, once it, you dig it out, but you know who the current head coach of the Washington Capitals is, right? Uh, yeah, it's the guy who replaced uh, Barry Trotz. Uh, Former uh, Blue? Uh, Rod Brindamore. No, I don't remember. Who is Todd Reardon. Oh, it is Todd Reardon. Yeah, his time in the Blue Note was so memorable. Uh, Chris Brown's yeah, that's, uh, I mean... He was the boat anchor holding Chris Pronger back. I mean, like, he probably had piggyback rides across the red line sometimes with Pronger. So, yeah, that's uh, that's an odd decision. Jeff, as a Capitals fan through and through, what do you think of Dimitri Yaskin? Just from a fan perspective, uh, what do you think of Jas- Yaskin? I almost said Jaskin. Yaskin on the top line with uh, with your, your boy Ovi and uh, Tuzi. Yeah, that, that, does, that, that ain't it, Chief. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. That's a bad choice. I mean, it actually, I, I was I was having this conversation with a friend this morning, and which we could hash it out here. Is it possible that a coach needs to have hair to be good? Ooh. Now Barry Trotz is pretty bald. Yeah. Uh, John Hines is pretty bald, and they're pretty good. Uh, Davis Payne was pretty bald, and he was pretty bad. Then you got Yo, and you got Todd Reardon, who's putting Yashkin on the top line. Elaine Vigneau has a lot of hair. He's got hair. Q's got hair. Peter Laviolette's got hair. John Cooper has hair. All right, next topic for around the league. Uh, the fans in Chicago are on the warpath. How many games have the Blackhawks lost in a row? Five? Uh, something like that, yeah. Our friends with the committed Indian, I mean, faxes from Uncle Dale are now calling for the scalp of one Joel Quinville. Trade. Coaches trade. Make it happen, Jeff. Uh, You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because unrelated to hockey, I was reading a column this week uh, that that, that, that was suggesting crazy things to do in baseball this offseason, and one of them was that the Cubs should trade Joe Madden to the Dodgers for Dave Roberts. (laughs) I... Coaches can be traded. Like that's they have been not for a long time though. But it, it can be done. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you would. You'd have to add to Yo to trade him for Q. It would be a lot, I think. Yeah, probably. But uh, our, our buddy Sam up there in Chicago, well, what basically on Twitter said, okay, 
it, we're reaching the point Quinville has to go. And I was like, yes, send him home to St. Louis. Thank you. I mean, is there is there a chance that that's what Doug Armstrong's waiting on? I'm speechless, Jeff. That's that was the sound of that was the sound of like uh, explosions going off my head silently. Uh, yep, I I doubt it, but uh, I mean, that wouldn't be a great reason because you could go to an interim uh, and then just hire Quinville once he became available. If that's what if that's if that was the idea, and even like I, the idea of the the Blackhawks firing Quinville midseason, that I I can't imagine. Or that Quinville would want another job immediately and not contemplate retirement, but you never know. He's pretty fiery. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's not the reason, but it is, it is an interesting sort of alternate history project when you think about, like, well, not firing Quinville when the Blues did. Well, we'll, we'll just put it this way. Uh, if, if Quinville loses his job, we'll see what happens. I mean... That would be pretty goddamn crazy, but uh, I'd I'd welcome Crazy Town. I don't know about you. It wouldn't it wouldn't be that bad. Yeah. Uh, so while it's, we're talking, it's better than the alternatives. Good. While while we're continuing to talk coaching changes, uh, I was asked yesterday, and so I looked it up if the Blues and Cardinals had ever made coaching changes in the same year, and I found three times in which it had happened. Uh, did you see this, slash, do you know the answer to this trivia question? Yeah, I saw number 10 was uh, involved with one of them. It was, so Tony LaRusa retired on Halloween on, on October 31st of 2011, immediately after the World Series, and then Davis Payne uh, was fired six days later by the Blues. And I saw Red Shanings was involved with one. But can you name because the other two the other two occasions the Blues fired the same coach both times? Can you name that coach? What the Blues fired the same coach twice? Was his name David Perron? In in 1976, the Cardinals let Red Shane Deans go, and the Blues fired Leo Boivin. And then in 1978, when the Cardinals fired Vern Rapp, the Blues <laughs> also fired Leo Boivin. It didn't take. It was like office space where the guys with the red stapler and it like he doesn't even work well, here. So they, they fired him and then they hired Emil Francis and then I don't know if Emil Francis retired or what, but he left and then Leo Boyman came back and then got fired again. Johnson, if you're listening, send me an email. Tell me, tell me the backstory behind that. That's crazy. Well, because that was like that was the period of time when it was Ralston Purina, right? Where there was just you know, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe it was like maybe they they wanted to emulate the Yankees bringing Billy Martin back so many times. I don't know. Uh, speaking of historical stuff, so in the paper Tuesday night is a column from a friend of mine, Chip Afero, who has been a almost lifelong Blues fan as long as the Blues have been around, and he writes about how he became a fan uh, after Red Berenson's six goal game, which on Wednesday the seventh will be 50 years ago. Did you know that, Jeff? I did not know that. So it was at the Philadelphia Spectrum back in the day. Uh, I think he scored three or four of the goals in the third period. I know there are at least three in the third period. I think that's what it was. Uh, tying the modern NHL record for six goals in a game. I know somebody I've never, I can never Malone with Toronto has six goals, I think. And then I think Mario did six goals. So I don't think Mario uh, ever did. Hold on. I thought he did. I thought there was three. 
NHL record for goals in a game. The modern record is six. I think. I think back in like maybe eighteen ninety or something when it was like right. Uh, the first people of Canada versus settlers. It was like a twelve goal game or something. All right. Let's see here. Where are the six goal games? Sort. Sort. Uh, so. On January 31st, 1920, Joe Malone of the Quebec Bulldogs scored seven goals. Newsy Lalonde scored six. Joe Malone Joe Malone scored six goals twice. He scored seven in 1920 and six in 1920. Newsy Lalonde had six in 1920. Uh, but let's see here. Post-war. 1944, Sid Howe had six for the Detroit Red Wings. And then Berenson. And then this is the Toronto one you were thinking of. Daryl Sittler had six. Oh, Sittler. Yeah. That's the one I should have, yeah. That's that's the three. Sid Howe, Red Barons, and Daryl Sittler. Maybe uh, maybe I was thinking of uh, Mario Lemieux's uh, five-goal game, I think, against the Blues during his, his heyday. Mario Lemieux scored five on December 31st, 1988, April 25th, 1989, April 9th, 1993, March 26th, 1996. Couldn't the other team pull their goalie just so he could get six? Come on. You would think. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Jim Jim writes that uh, it was, you know, the Blues were kind of an oddity at that point. Uh, it was the second, what, second or third season of the team, and, uh, you know, it was still kind of not a cool thing to do. Nobody had really, on the Blues, captured their imagination. And then the six-goal game happened, and, and he said now it was – uh, all of a sudden, we started playing street hockey, and he talks about how his his mom sewed a logo onto his sweatshirt, and they they made their own team names based on what street they grew up on in South City. And uh, they would they would if a kid in the class was lucky enough to go to a game, he would bring a program back, and they'd kind of gently pass it around the room during class and kind of read it under their desk. Uh, really, really cool stuff. And he, he points out that before the six goal game. The Blues were averaging about 9,000 fans a game. And after, it was about 14,000. or 14, 17, something like that. 15,000-ish more. So, I mean, not quite double, but pretty dang close. Uh, so you can really see how the the imagination of St. Louis was really captured by the Berenson's Barrage, as it was called. So if, if you get a chance to check out the paper on Tuesday night, really good read about uh, one of the great moments in blues history one of the one of the best that doesn't have like any downside you know the monday night miracle was game six and they lost game seven in calgary and it's like yeah they got wayne gretzky and then they lost double overtime and they didn't resign him and he went to new york it's like every great thing brett hall yeah he won stanley cups in dallas and detroit so red bears six goals literally nothing bad related to it don't you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, when you think about the greatest moments of this franchise over the last twenty years or so, is it? I mean, is it the Troy Brower goal? Is that the biggest moment of this franchise in the last twenty years? Um, yeah, because it's been longer than that since '93, where they swept the Blackhawks and Ed Belfour lost his shit. That was like that was, and coincidentally, both uh, playoff victories over the Blackhawks. Uh, the Steen goal in what was that double overtime where Quick gave up the puck? Yeah, that that was pretty cool. They, lost, they lost that series. They, were, they lost that series. Um, that one time Barrett Jackman scored from the red line against Winnipeg. Yeah, I was like a Winnipeg on a Tuesday. I don't think that that doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, like, the the immediate aftermath of the Ryan Miller trade was good. Like, the results were obviously bad. But, I like, because that, that trade happened on a Friday night, and the Mardi Gras parade was Saturday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and Because I, I remember going to that Mardi Gras parade. Like, and there were people high-fiving in the streets and celebrating Ryan Miller. Like, they were going to win the cup because they got Ryan Miller. Like, they were, there were people walking around in Halak jerseys who were like, yeah, fuck Halak, like going crazy. <laughs> you know what was funny was, you know, his best games as a blue, and I think his overall, like, statistics with St. Louis were actually just a tad worse than his career average in Buffalo. But, like, his best games with St. Louis were when he had the plain white mask and a few Blues friends of ours tried to get a uh, hashtag trending on Twitter, hashtag white power, because of the white mask. That was, uh, we live in a different world, even though that was not that long ago. Times times have changed. We probably could not get away with the hashtag white power. Yeah, I don't power. think hashtag white power would probably have flown, no. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, we were going to talk real quick, uh, coming back to the Blues for a second. Jake Allen has a special mask. For hockey fights cancer, can you tell me about the mask? I have not seen it. Did you see a picture of it? I did. There's a picture of it. There's a story up on stlouisblues.com today. Uh, the hockey fights cancer game is November 24th, so I guess that's what that's the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, and it has a it has, as an illustration uh, of Jaden Schwartz's sister Mandy along with her motto personal phrase thing it's a it's a i forget what exactly what it was but it was a it's a latin phrase that means like struggle and then succeed or, or something to that effect uh so a cool uh, a cool little personal connection uh the story mentions that alan and his wife brought it up to Jaden schwartz at the uh, at the shattenkirk wedding this past summer it was an idea they had for this year's hockey fights cancer mask and so it's, it's, it's a it's a cool thing it's a nice touch it is, and you know, the Blues have had some personal connection with cancer patients. You know, every year they, they do the hospital visits, and they do the friends with kids with cancer, trick-or-treating at the arena, and then the young girl that Vladimir Tarasenko befriended, and they took on the trip to Arizona and Colorado a couple seasons ago, and tragically passed away, what was that, last year, I guess? Yeah. Uh, Ari? Yeah. Um, that's uh, I, I'm a little surprised that he didn't do something, you know, Mandy Schwartz on one side, Ari on the other. But uh, well, I mean, you know, you don't know how a family feels, right? Maybe her yeah, family, it's sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. You can just turn to Schwartz and say, "Hey, do you think it'd be okay if I put your sister on my mask?" Right. And I think it'd be cool. So yeah, that's true. okay. Hey, you know, logistics. I get it. Uh, that's a that's a, you know. Let's make a comparison here. Every year. The NFL tries to pretend that it has a heart while charging you to believe that it has a heart. You know, they do the veteran stuff. A lot of the teams had camouflage stuff because Veterans Day is next weekend. And so teams that had a home game this weekend did the veteran salute stuff this weekend because they're probably going to be on the road next weekend on Veterans Day. Month of October, I think, was breast cancer month. So, they, you know, a lot of players had white or pink towels or pink cleats or pink headbands or whatever. Uh, but it's all a load of bullshit because, you know, if you're to wear your pink headband outside of October, they find you. Or if you use your military towel in two weeks, they're going to find you. So it's it's just, uh, hey, look, we care. Let's, let's move on to the next thing we pretend to care about. Whereas, you know, 
the connection that the players have made with some of these cancer patients, and obviously, you know, the, the family connection with Jaden and his sister Mandy, you know, isn't manufactured. It's for real. And, you know, a couple of years ago, they practiced at Yale, right? And, and, they, I, and I think, they, yeah, there was a benefit game as well. And, you know, when, when 17 came available, I'm pretty sure that was Mandy's number, and Jaden changed the number. It so, was, yeah. I mean, that's real shit. And it's, uh, you know, every everybody has a connection to a cancer patient, either someone who who made it through or, or who didn't. And cancer is super personal for so, so many people. And and the way that the Blues and, you know, a little bit NHL, I'll give, I'll give the, the wider NHL a little more credit, but the way that the Blues especially approach that kind of stuff, I think is genuine and, and, and sincerely touching. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Look, you know, the, the corporatism of the NFL and the league stuff, I think we should distinguish from individual players because I'm, I'm sure that there are plenty of individual guys in the NFL uh, who do who do get, make connections in the same way that the Blues have made uh, with people in the community. And, you know, we should point out, too, obviously, uh, because actually this just this popped up today on the This Day in Blues History Twitter account, uh, that today was the day on the calendar where Barkley Plager started treatment for his own brain tumor, right? So that's like there is the kind of that founding act of connection uh, between where the Blues are at now and, and their relationship to people who, who suffer with cancer. Uh, so yeah, it, it's meaningful, I think, for the organization to step up. I think the league as a whole, you're right, does do a good job uh, of reaching out to people and, and trying trying at least to show the compassion uh, that the league is capable of You know, there are times where they basically want to say, look, these guys are human. We try to, you know, have the non-transfer window or the no-move window during Christmas and, you know, some other other times of year around the holidays and stuff. And You know, then they play on New Year's Day and stuff, but that's cool. But anyway, it's, yeah, I, I think they, they do, a, I think as a league they, you know, and part of it is the, and the NHL has come from such humbler beginnings than the NFL, or hasn't nearly reached the heights of the NFL, so it still seems more genuine when it comes from a smaller, less established league. Uh, okay, so well, one actually, other... Yeah, yeah. So, and here's, here's what I'll say, because here's the way I think that we tie this whole thing up, uh, and we tie this podcast back to sort of where we started it, which is, you know, you, you, you talked about it and asked, why are guys so... People, I should say, uh, so committed to defending Jake Allen all the time about everything. Uh, And I think there is an extent to which it does become personal, right? There's this connection to people where fans on the internet feel like attacking a player for performance is the same thing as attacking them personally. Uh, And I don't think that that's true, and I don't think that's fair. And I think it's important to remember that the fact that you and I don't think Jake Allen is a quality goaltender and the fact that we think that probably Mike Yo needs to be fired is not indicative of them being, like, bad people, right? Like, I guess that's, that's, not, that's not the argument here. And, then, and no one, like, there will be pity for Mike Yo the day that he gets fired. My interactions with Mike Yo have been uniformly positive. I have nothing but nice things to say about Mike Yo the man. Mike Yo, the hockey coach, is in a position where the team competitively is at a disadvantage because he's behind the bench. Jake Allen, the goalie, uh, has not performed nearly well enough 
given the responsibility that he has on his plate. So, you know, I, I understand the inclination to want to defend these guys personally, but that doesn't absolve them from that professional responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not, it's not personal. And I, I, I don't know it as a guy who puts together a fan run paper and has been a publisher for seven years and who wrote the cover for, for like six years before that. I don't have any problem, but you know, when people would ask Gallagher why he didn't push for a press pass when he was running game time, he said, you know what? I don't need it to do what we do with the, with the, the fan run paper. And I don't have a lot of time, but here's, here's the risk. If I make jokes about Eric Brewer being an unfeeling, unemotional robot, and I go in the dressing room and I ask him a couple questions and he jokes around with me and we have kind of a personal conversation, the next issue where I want to make a joke about him being an unfeeling, unmoving, unemotional robot, I'm going to feel guilty and think twice about writing that about him because I have this connection. You know, uh, I think because the Blues are active in the community and it's it's... You know, I've met several players and talked with several players, and it's, you know, they're down-to-earth guys, and a lot of them come from small cities across Canada. And, you know, it's not they're not all farm boys anymore, but there's still some are. And, uh, you know, even me, guys like Cam Jansen, who, you know, came up through Eureka and made it to the NHL, and you're fast friends with that dude in five minutes or less. And, and that's how the vast majority of these guys are. So I totally get if I talk about Jake Allen's save percentage that you think it's a personal attack to your friend, but damn, I mean, here's the, here's the divided, here's the bright white line for me in the paper. I try my hardest for no story, no columnist ever to say we about the blues. We played hard. We had some rotten luck. The officials were out to get us. No, 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 no. This is purely a customer and business relationship. Blues fans are customers. They pay money to be entertained. They spend their time and energy and free time following this team and and being attached to this team. Do we want to feel like we belong, that we play an important role, that when we make some noise when the scoreboard asks us to, that that that's important? Yeah, okay, sure. But in the end, these guys get paid. The team makes money from us. And, And really, when you talk about when it's time to make a change in goal or time to make a change in coach... It's because we're paying customers and we want something, a return on, on our investment. We want to be entertained. We want to see a competitive team. We want to go to playoff games. And when that doesn't happen, we should complain to the manager. Just like if you get a crappy meal at a restaurant, you complain to the manager. Uh, and, you know, my point of view, say, never saying we as part of the Blues, I, I almost guarantee anybody who stands up for Jake Allen and Jake Allen is never Jake Allen's fault. Every once in a while, if not all the time, they're going to stay we as far as the Blues, and I'm not talking French. I I agree with all of that, and here's the, my, my last caveat I'll, I'll put on this conversation. Fuck Slava Voinov. That's a bad guy. And so if he comes back to the NHL, fuck him forever, and it's personal. Totally and completely fair. That's that's the line, right? Like, fuck Patrick Kane, fuck Slava Voinov, but otherwise, you know, people are people. Fuck Evander Kane, probably too. I don't know, there's a list. Probably. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a month if, it, if we didn't hear a wild accusation against Evander Kane. Jesus everybody's out, everybody's out to get him, Jeff. Yeah, I got nothing to say about that one. Everything about yeah. it is bad. Fair enough. 
by the way, trip uh, trip update. I'm now in the Hoosier State, uh, so I just gained an hour driving, uh, or lost an hour going forward. I guess. Yeah, you lost. So, one. Uh, yeah, so it's now three thirty instead of two thirty almost. But uh, passing through Terre Haute, Indiana, home of Indiana State, the Sycamores, and the federal penitentiary that has Death Row, where Timothy McVeigh was executed uh, back in what two thousand one. Yeah, uh, and also home of a Wendy's where we stopped on the way to Columbus. Uh, Chick-fil-A, dude. Oh, that's Chick-fil-A. right. That's right. That was Chick-fil-A. Well, so I, I again, very briefly before as we're wrapping up, I've taken two road trips with our with our buddy Chip, one, one of which we'd stopped at Wendy's, or he stopped at Wendy's. I dropped him off, went through the Taco Bell drive-thru, came back, and he was still waiting on his Wendy's. The other was Chick-fil-A. What do you got against Wendy's, Jeff? Nothing. I just wanted to get back on the road. I, I am efficient. Uh, and preferred Taco Bell because it's much faster, and it was much faster. You gave me a hard time about eating Fast Panda, a not road-friendly meal, and you're admitting on a road trip staying in the car eating Taco Bell? I got burritos. Uh, there is no more road-friendly food. Burritos can leak, man. Not if you know what you're doing. A Taco Bell burrito is the easiest food to eat in the car. Yeah, but the chicken cake... Okay. To me, personally, the chicken quesadilla is the best thing that at Taco Bell. So what, what's your favorite uh, entree at Taco Bell, Jeff? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty committed to the dollar menu, right? So I'll get the cheesy bean and rice burrito and a beefy potato for or beefy Frito burrito, I should say. Two of one, one of the other, out of Taco Bell for $3.24. Wow, down to the penny. The Frito burrito is pretty good. I... I think they skip on the meat a little bit. They do. But that's just my opinion. And I had I had a bad Taco Bell experience the other day uh, where I popped in for some burritos, and clearly the person who was, was serving had not changed their gloves since they last packaged in order of cinnamon twists, and so my burritos tasted oh my. like cinnamon. That was not great. Ugh. Make a run away from the border for that. Yeah. It was it was it was as Taco Bell experiences go. It was among the worst. I used to be just a straight taco guy, and then I branched out. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, chicken quesadilla is still my favorite thing. I gotta tell you the the the, the ooziness of the cheese, the gooiness of the cheese. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I'm kind of a messy eater. So yeah, I'm they're good. They're it. fine. But I'm for a car. If I'm being efficient yeah. and driving. Give me get through Taco Bell. It's fast burritos and out done. Can't really have a Doritos ta- Locos Taco. No. Driving in the cars. Kind of dip- tough stretch for the Bulls. Maybe a new head coach. Uh, before we wrap it up here on the podcast today. Yep. Uh, we'll see how the week plays out. I, again, I think they're spinning their wheels until the coaching change happens. So for the sake of season recovery, one would hope it happens sooner than later. They're just waiting for Joel Quinville. That's it. Yep, you we'll see. It. All right. Hey, we uh to get a sample, can we can we send people a sample sometime? I mean, this is kind of a sample. This um, is that's that's if you the ever idea. Have any questions about? Yeah, if you have any questions about the Patreon, what you get for it, send us an email, gtbradley at gmail. Uh, you know, check us out on Patreon. I think it's well worth it. But you know, I subscribe to the, to the Huck Soup Pod. 
So, you know, it's not quite a foreign thing. But, you know, if this is the only thing you listen, we try to put as much stuff into this as possible every week so that it's good listen and we're, uh, you're enjoying us in your ear holes, as I like to say. Yep. All right, cool. Yep, awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be at you next week or on the Patreon. So until then, let's go Blues.